This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, as I began to pray and seek the Lord about this new year, I felt like the Lord said we need to pause from the Gospel of John series that we've been in the past, I don't know, three or four months, and begin a new series that I felt like was burning in my bones, and it is called Rise. And I believe that it is not just a series, but I believe that it is a prophetic declaration from God to his church that now is the time to rise. Now is the time to get up out of our beds, to awaken from our sleeping, and to fulfill the calling and the mandate that he's placed on us as a church. As I was praying into this idea, I felt like the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within me, said, Jason, it's time for you to rise. It's time for you to get up. It's time for you to fulfill the calling that's upon your life. And when we look back upon 2021, maybe for some of you, it was an amazing year. How many of you guys, 2021 was the greatest year of your life? All right, no hands. Good. Because if it was, I might be in trouble tonight with where we're going. (laughs) But perhaps for you, 2021 was a challenging year. All right, how many, for those of you, it was challenging? Okay, a few of you. Um, But I believe this, regardless of whether it was challenging or great, I believe that it would be easy to probably characterize the past couple years as challenging and troubling. Amen? Difficult. Conflicted. Uh, Did any of you ever feel like giving up in the middle of last year? Did you ever find yourself, yeah, a few of you found yourself facing a situation that was difficult or challenging or troubling? Any, Any obstacles that you had to overcome? Okay, a lot more hands on that one. Good. All right, we're getting somewhere. (laughs) You know, when I speak to pastors all over Utah and all over the country, I get the sense from them, and there's unanimous agreement that many people throughout the course of 2020 and 2021 have left their faith, have walked away from Jesus, and have walked away from the church. And the primary reason is because their life got difficult. Their life got challenging. Their life got hard. And in the process of seeing people walk away from their faith, I know that many of us, especially as believers, found ourselves mourning and grieving their loss. I know last year we had to say goodbye to quite a few families who moved away, uh, many of which were your friends and some of our friends. And it was sad and we had to mourn and, and grieve their absence. But I also noticed that God was doing some really exciting new things as well. And he was adding to our numbers and doing things among us that only he could do. We've seen lives be healed. We've seen people make decisions to follow Jesus for the first time. We got to baptize many people last year. And so even amidst all of the problems and the challenges and all the crazy stuff going on, God was still doing what he always does, which is change lives and change hearts. And then when we look at the bigger stage of what's going on in our world and we look at what happened with the virus and what's been going on with the virus and then what's been going on with all the political upheaval and the social craziness, um, we look at people getting caught in the midst of that. It, it just kind of felt like the walls of our life have been on fire, like they've been burning. <laughs> like, they, like, they've, like the guards on the gates found themselves distracted and left their posts. 
And it felt a little bit like enemies were coming in and, and plundering and kind of taking whatever they want from us. And I think if we're not careful, that's a place we can stay. We can get stuck in that moment and carry that mindset into this year. But I really believe that God wants us to rise, to return, to rebuild, and to resist, to return, rebuild, and resist. And tonight we're going to focus on the return part of this message. As it turns out, what we've gone through collectively and individually is nothing new. In fact, we see this particular moment reflected and echoed in the book of Nehemiah. I believe it's a great picture of what the people of God, like us, were going through then. And it's the story and the, the lens and the framework that I want to work from tonight in the beginning of this message. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to begin right there in verse 1 tonight. Before we do, I should also set this up with a little bit of context for those of you that are unfamiliar with the story and unfamiliar with who Nehemiah is. Nehemiah, at this point in Israel's history, is an Israelite serving in the court of the Persian king Artaxerxes. Now there's a fun word. Say it with me, class. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. I know it's a little bit of a tongue twister. So Nehemiah is living in the palace of the king, and he's serving as a cupbearer. Uh, today we would call them a wine taster. He's the king's sommelier. He's responsible for making sure that the wine that they give the king is not poisoned first. So it's kind of an important job, kind of a risky job too, because a lot of people back in this day and probably today tried to poison the king. And so this is his job. He's living in the palace, in the citadel, in the city of Susa. Say Susa. Susa is modern day Iran. So Nehemiah is in Iran, about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. So just want to kind of frame this so that you're not looking at him as, as being in Israel or being in Jerusalem. He's in modern day Iran serving a Persian king as an Israelite. And news comes to Nehemiah via a close friend, the text sometimes uses the word brother, to let him know that Jerusalem is in great peril. Now, let's read it together. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Another fun word to say. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, which is right about November, December, in the 20th year as I, Nehemiah, was in Susa, the citadel. And it happened that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So the people are greatly troubled. They're greatly troubled and shamed. And the walls of their city have been broken down and the gates that open up to the world have been destroyed by fire. In other words, the city's a mess. The people's lives are a mess. And they've been assaulted by invading invasive armies and other kings throughout the past couple hundred years after they came back from exile. So they're in trouble. Their cities are devastated. Their buildings have been set on fire. Does that remind you of, of anything? 
I mean, it's almost as if it could be describing Portland or Baltimore or Kenosha. Or what about Afghanistan or Haiti? Or what about all the other places in the world that deal with this on a daily basis that don't make the nightly news? What about all the people living in the midst of great trouble and great peril and great shame? And if we press this analogy, go back, Keaton, if we press this analogy just a little bit further, what about the devastation that we find in people's lives as a result of substance abuse or addiction or mental health problems or pornography or mental illness? What about all the emotions that that come in when we're anxious and stressed that terrorize us, that try to keep us in a place of fear? What about those? Friends, the truth is, if we step back from this, go back one slide, Keaton. If we step back and we look at our world, this is our world right now, in great trouble and great shame, brokenness and destruction by fire or earthquake or volcano or flood or tornado. I mean, fill in the blank, right? This could be our time. And what's Nehemiah's response to this? What's his response as an Israelite living in a foreign place. Well, we see it in the next verse. Let's read it together. Verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. Anybody ever feel like crying in the last couple of years? And I mourned. Anybody feel like mourning the things that you've lost? And I continued to fast and to pray before the God of heaven. So he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. He weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. Can I pause right here and say something else to us? Don't overlook the need to weep and mourn that which has been lost. But also, don't miss the opportunity, next slide, Keaton, to pray and fast for God to do what only he can do. See, many of us get stuck in the weeping and mourning portion of our life. And it's important that we embrace those feelings. It's important that we grieve. It's important that we mourn the things that we lose. It's important for us to go through the whole gamut of emotions. But many of us get stuck there. When in reality, the calling of God on you, if you're a believer and you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, is to move into a place where you can pray and you can fast for God to work in your situation. And I believe this, there's nothing better than the start of a new year to begin to pray and to begin to fast. Now, I've been doing this thing lately called intermittent fasting. Any of you guys do that? It's where you skip a meal or skip a couple meals before you have like one great meal. And it's a good way to sort of retrain the body to not necessarily rely on food as much as it does. Uh, Maybe this isn't for you, but there's a whole science that goes into intermittent fasting and looks at different body types and looks at different genetic types that actually serves you in your desire to have food. Now, Jesus said this, man shall not live on what? Bread alone but by every word of God. And when did Jesus say that? He said that in the middle of the wilderness when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, when he was being tempted by the enemy. And so there's something powerful that I believe about fasting and prayer that God doesn't want us to miss when we go through seasons of hardship or seasons of struggle. Now, you guys know as a church that we are passionate about prayer. And we say it all the time. And we gather here on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. every week 
because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that we are not just called to be a church that prays, but to be a praying church, meaning we see it as more a part of our identity, as a role that God wants us to step into as intercessors here in this valley. And we believe that our prayers are effective and that they're powerful and that they accomplish great and many wonderful things. But here's Nehemiah in the middle of hearing the worst news that he could hear, that his hometown, that his, his home was in rubble. It had been destroyed by fire. The walls are broken down. He, he weeps and he embraces the full emotion of, of what it means to be human and he cries and he, he breaks down. But then he moves into prayer and fasting. And I don't want us to miss that. And I love what he says next in his prayer. And this is where I really want to now focus, laser focus our time together here tonight, because I think this is where this is going to help you and help me become the kinds of people that God wants us to become this year. Nehemiah chapter one, verse five says this. And I said, here's this prayer. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his what? Commandments. Nehemiah in his angst and in his despair begins to call out to God. He begins by recognizing and remembering who his God is. The great and awesome God, the Lord of hosts. He appeals to the God of heaven and he says, God, you're the one who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. He appeals to the nature of God to the character of God, to who God is. In other words, he recognizes God, Yahweh, as the God who keeps his promises and blesses those who love him, which has me thinking, which deserves an instant response. How do we demonstrate our love for God? According to Nehemiah here, it's by doing what he tells us to do. By what? By keeping his commandments. Jesus said it this way in the gospel of John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll what? Post about me on Facebook? Throw up a really cool reel on Instagram? Tell the world how they're doing it wrong and how you're doing it right? No. If you love me, Jesus says to his disciples like you and me, you will keep my commandments. Church, this has to be the foundation of everything that we set out to accomplish in 2022. Are we loving God by keeping his commandments? Are we doing what he says he wants us to do? I think the reason so many people have left their faith is not just because COVID made it possible. I think a lot of people have walked away from God because keeping his commandments is not easy. I mean, following Jesus, it's not for the faint of heart. When Jesus says things like this, love your enemies, that's hard, right? You would say that's difficult to do. How about when he says, pray for those that persecute you? Hard, right? Once again, difficult. What about forgive those who have wronged you? Jesus, that's hard. What about giving as freely as you've received? Hard. What about go and make disciples of all nations? Inconvenient, tough, difficult, hard, not exactly easy commands, are they? But weren't we once enemies to the things of God? 
Weren't we once hostile to the things of the cross? Weren't we once among those who profaned his name and persecuted his followers? Weren't we once in need of forgiveness for the wrongs that we've committed against God and against others? And yet, what's God's response to us? It's love. It's love. It's self-sacrificing, other-preferring love. In the words of Nehemiah, it's even stronger than that. Let me show you. Go back to that verse. It's covenant and steadfast love. This ain't a cheap love, you guys. God loves us with a commitment to see us through even our worst days. Jesus says, even when we go astray, he's the shepherd that goes after the one. He leaves the 99 to rescue the one that's gone astray. That's the kind of love that God loves us with because that's who God is. God is love. And I believe before we can do anything significant this year or be of any help to our community or this valley, we have got to have this kind of love burning in our bones. An other-preferring, self-sacrificing love burning in our hearts. For some of us, I believe this might just mean a return to keeping first things first, because what is first is always priority to us. What is first, next slide, Keaton, is always priority, next slide after that, to us. So I want to ask this question of all of us. What is first place in your life right now? What is first place right now? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids and their amazing accomplishments? Is it your Netflix binging or Hulu watching? Is it your job? Is it your career? Is it the shape of your body? What is priority number one for you? Now, let me ask you a follow-up question. Where does Jesus rank on your list of priorities? Where's Jesus on that list, you guys? You see, what I love about the new year is not the resolutions that we make, but rather the inventory or examination that we take of what is of supreme importance and value in our life. Let me say it again. It's not the resolutions we make, but the inventory we take of what is most important to us. What's most important to you? What's number one on your list of priorities? Now I want you to hear Jesus's words to his beloved, his church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter two, verses two through five. Jesus says this, I know your works, next slide, Keats, your toil and your patient endurance, stop. I know all your good deeds, you guys. I know how you work hard and serve and I, I love how you patiently endure when trouble comes upon you. I love the way that you handled 2020 and I really love the way that you handled 2021, all the challenges and obstacles and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. I love how good you are at discerning things. And, but, but, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, he goes on, and are not, and found them to be false. I love all this stuff. This is all good. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have, next slide, abandoned your first love, or the love you had at first. Jesus speaking to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, essentially, first century, 
says, I love everything you guys are doing. But this is the one thing that you're missing. The love that you had at first. It's your first love. He continues, verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is what Jesus tells the church to do, to return home, to return to loving him, to repent and do what we all did at first, which was fall in love with Jesus. Love Jesus. As it turns out, I believe this is the greatest priority for our life. It's why at Courageous Church, our number one value is to have a life that's devoted to Jesus. Because devotion is all about where your heart is. It's about who your heart belongs to. It's about who's number one on the priority list of your life. This is exactly what I mean by keeping first things first. It's a full return. It's the invitation to make a full return to your first love by putting Jesus back in his rightful place in your heart and life. To repent... It's a word that we don't like to use a lot in our culture today, but it's, it means this, it's to return. It's basically the same meaning as the word return. They share the same fundamental idea, and here's what it means. To turn away from something and to turn towards something, or in our case, someone else. To repent is to return. It's to come home. And it always involves these two elements, the act of confession and the act of returning. The act of confession is essentially you and I saying, I screwed up. Now, how many of you guys are really good at apologizing? How many of you are really good at admitting when you're wrong? A, a lot of hands actually went up. That's, that's amazing. I, I salute you. Me, not so much. I have a hard time sometimes admitting when I'm wrong, but this is the first step to repentance. The second step is actually the act of returning. We see it in the story of the prodigal son, who realizes that he screws up. And what does he do? He comes home. He returns. He turns his face away from what he was doing and he turns his heart and his focus towards the father, toward returning home to the father. And we see a model of this actually in Nehemiah's own prayer here. Let's read it together. Nehemiah 1, verse 6 through 8. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that now I pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, there's his intercession prayer for the people. Confessing the sins of the people. There it is, confession. Confessing the sins of the people which we have sinned against you. Next slide, verse, same verse. Next slide. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah goes, shoot, even I screwed up. Even I blew it. He doesn't blame the people in Israel. Here he is in Iran, distant to the problem, and yet he takes responsibility for it. He goes, even I and my father's house have sinned. He makes a confession. We've acted very corruptly against you and we have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded of your servant Moses. Verse eight, remember the word then that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you what? Return to me. If you repent and return to me, and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, there's a hyperbolic statement, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. We see 
in Nehemiah's prayer, the act of confession and the act of returning. And here's the good news. Here's what I want us to hear. Here's the good news and the promise of God to us that if we would return to him, to our first love, he will establish us back, Keaton. He will establish us in the place where his name dwells. He will establish us in the place where his name dwells. And I believe this. I believe that this is God's message to his church right now. Come home. Come home. Come home. Return unto me. Return to your first love. I know you love all this other stuff. I know you've gotten all excited about theology and all about your missions program and all about your giving and your serving and all this. But you know what I really want? I want your heart. And I want to be first. Because if you're not first, you're last. In the words of Ricky Bobby. I knew that joke would go over some of your heads. He goes, I want your heart. I don't need you to impress me with all this other stuff. I just want you. And that was the cry of our heart during that song tonight. And that's why we're praying that and worshiping through that tonight. Because we believe that as a church, this should be our heart. To return to our first love. I believe this is God's message to the church right now. It's time to return to our first love because it's time to rise. Truth is, we don't need just another new resolution or another new program. Come on, somebody. We don't need another new thing to find our life's purpose. All we really need is to follow through on doing what Jesus has already asked us to do. And you want to know what that is? Can I make it real simple for you? Let me, let me, let me boil it all down to, to just three things. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. Love God. Love others. And make disciples. Jesus said, I boil all the commandments down to these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other is just like it. Loving others as you love yourself. And then he left us with the words from the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to do what I've already told you to do. You guys, it's not complicated. Now, I know in our culture, we tend to complicate things. We tend to make things bigger than they need to be. But I really believe the call to rise is a simple call. It's not some extravagant new idea that nobody's thought of before. Some of you are like, I, what, I wonder what the new thing is going to be, right? Some of you who like those new things, you know, what's the iPhone 14 going to look like? What's the iPhone 20 going to look like? We just get enticed to being about the new thing. But you know what? The new thing is the old thing. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. As a church, this is what we're all about. This is our mission, to equip and empower people to become courageous followers of Jesus. We want them to fall in love with Jesus because if they'll fall in love with Jesus, then guess what? They'll follow Jesus. And if they'll follow Jesus, guess what? They'll serve Jesus. They'll do what he's commanded them to do. I believe this year we need to keep it simple and we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And we need to return to our first love and not make a habit of straying. We need to stay with Jesus. We need to keep our hearts lit and burning with the flame of worship and the flame of fire that says, Jesus, you above all things, you above all else, not Jesus plus other things. Come on, but Jesus alone. And I believe this is the invitation for us right now. I believe if we do this, if we could step into this like never before, we're going to reach new heights in our relationship with God that we've never, ever thought were possible. We're going to see relationships in our lives healed and reconciled and renewed. How many of you guys have a few relationships with a few people that need to be reconciled? How many of you have a few relationships that need healing? Come on. 
I know you do. How many of you could use a little healing yourself? Yes. I believe when we do this, we're going to see this happen. And, and here's the kicker. We're going to be blessed and established in the place where his name dwells. That's what I want for us as a church, to see your life blessed and established in the place where his name dwells, meaning fully alive, fully healed, fully well, on fire for Jesus. I know we live in a dark place, you guys, and I know this is an oppressive place for many of you, but let's cast off that oppression. Let's cast off the morning and let's put on dancing this year. Let's be a people that choose to celebrate, amen, and choose to find joy in the moments between the moments. Do you believe that? Is that your heart's cry? I believe this is our call. I believe this is the hour. This is our moment. It's time to rise. And we're going to do so throughout the course of this series. Rise, return, rebuild, resist. Rise, return, rebuild, resist. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.